and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. Uh, You can take your Bibles and go to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, the first of the Psalms, um, is a very powerful and wonderful psalm, very beautiful psalm, that I'd like to read the opening of it to you. In Psalm 1 it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit, or its fruit, in its season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Um, This psalm, those opening verses of that psalm, have five or six separate figures of speech in it. To draw attention to how important and how much God wants this emphasized. And in verse 1, there are three different positions that are discussed there. The man is blessed that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. What you have in that verse is standing, walking, and sitting. Standing, walking, and sitting. And those are three physical actions, but they're used in God's Word in a much bigger, greater way than just describing the physical actions of sitting, walking, and standing. They're used figuratively in a very powerful way in a number of places in God's Word. I'd like you to go to Ephesians chapter 2. The man that doesn't stand in, that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, is a blessed man. A man who, whatsoever he does, will prosper. And Before we get into Ephesians, I wanted to read to you from the Random House Dictionary um, a little bit of the definition of each one of those actions of sit, walk, and stand. Now, this dictionary has, for every word given, lots of different definitions. And I'm not going to read all the different definitions, um, all the different ways that each one of those words are defined, because some of them are not relevant to what we're doing, and some of them are just sort of random, if you'll pardon my plan words there, the Random House Dictionary. 
But I'm going to read you some that I think are enlightening in terms of the words that we'll be looking at. The first one is sit. To be located or sighted, as in the house, sits well on the slope. To rest or lie by, on, or upon. To remain quiet or inactive. To fit or be adjusted, to occupy a place or to have a seat in an official assembly or in an official capacity as a legislator, judge, or bishop. So there's a couple of different um, ideas there that relate to how this word is used biblically as well. A couple of ways that it's used in contemporary usage that also relate to how it's used biblically in its figurative use. And one of those is the idea of something being at a location, something being in a certain place. And that carries over with the way that sit is used. It's used connoting where someone abides, where they live. Another meaning that you'll find in places is similar to how it's used biblically, is that it's at rest. It is in, at rest in a sense of being complete. The next word we'll look at is stand. Now besides the physical action, some of the other ways that that word is used is to, again, be located, but it is to continue in effect, as in my offer still stands. To be or remain in a specified state or condition, like I stand corrected. It is to stand to remain firm or steadfast. And that's definitely a way that it's used biblically, to remain firm or steadfast. Another definition is to face or experience has an attack or ordeal. A determined effort for or against something, especially a final defensive effort. A determined policy, position, attitude, etc., taken or maintained. So those are all ways that it's used in contemporary usage, but it's also ways that it's used figuratively in the Bible. That you'll see this word stand talking about being established talking about taking a position where you just are ready to defend against something else, against some attack, and so you take a stand. And that's a way, that word's used in, in so often in contemporary usage in that way that it's readily understood when you come across that word in the Bible and it talks about standing. You, you, pretty much immediately know what it means because we use that word still today in that same manner. Hmm. Whereas 
sit is not one that we really use that often in its figurative manner. The third one is walk. To follow a particular way or pattern of life, as in he walked in sorrow. A particular form of activity, occupation, status, etc., as in in every walk of life. So those, again, are ways that it's used figuratively in our usage, but it relates to how it's used biblically in that same manner. Although walk in particular is the one that's used greater than, in a much greater way and in much more frequency in the Bible than we use it figuratively today. We may talk about a certain walk of life, but biblically the word walk is descriptive of our manner of life or our activity. Now with that in mind, we're going to go to Ephesians where these three words are used throughout the book of Ephesians, and they're used in a way that those three words, they summarize entire sections of Ephesians. You can take an entire section of the, the epistle to the Ephesians, and it can be described with either sit, walk, or stand. And the three together describe our whole manner of life and what it is that God's done for us in Christ and what we are to do now as a result of it. The first one that we come across in terms of the word itself is walk, although it's not the first concept that's really encountered in Ephesians, but we'll come back and you'll understand that more when we get to it, when we get to sit, which is actually the first one in terms of concept. But the first of those three words is found in chapter 2 of Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you what? Walked. You walked according to the course of this world. It says at one time we walked according to the course of this world. At one time, we were dead in trespasses and sins. And we walked according to this course of this world, and it's a beautiful figurative use there because it's describing the way that we lived. And yet it paints a real mind picture because we did walk along a course. A course. And when I think of this course, it's like I think of like looking at a rat in a maze. And it can only go in certain directions. It can't just go wherever it wants. And that's how we were. We walked according to a course of this world. We may have thought that we made our own choices. We may have thought that we decided we could go here or go there. And we could, but only where that course would take us. It's only where there was a certain course that it could take us, and so much of it was always designed in the end to accomplish the adversary, the God of this world's motives of stealing, killing, and destroying. Mm. We walked according to this course of this world. It goes on to say about that, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
Who is that? The devil. The devil. That's the prince of the power of the air refers to the devil. He is the God of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is the one who manipulates and controls this world we live in. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Among whom, among those children of disobedience, we all had our conversation. Conversation means behavior. It's the old English usage of the word. In times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of, our, of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's our old nature. The nature that man is born with is a nature of wrath. It is a, you know, it's a nature that seeks to please self. It's a nature that will pretty much do whatever it takes to get what you want. And with that old nature, that nature of wrath, we were just followers of those courses that were set by the children of disobedience. The children of disobedience are those children of the adversary who set up those courses, and we just by nature followed them. That's the way we walked. Verse 4, But God, who is or being rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now we come across the word sit. And that word sit is not an action that we take. It's an action that really is descriptive of what God's done for us. And that relates back to the earlier use of a related word in chapter 1 of Ephesians. But before I get there, I want to just read to you. You don't have to turn to these places, but I'm going to just read them to you to cover more ground quickly. Of different places where this word sit is used in the Bible that communicate just what its meaning is. In Matthew 19:28. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In that place, that word sit is used to show the authority, just like a king sits on a throne. And it's more, there's a greater meaning than just his actually resting there, but that's where he's seated. He has that seat of authority, that throne. In Matthew 20, Jesus is speaking, and he said unto her, What wilt thou? She said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in the kingdom. So here, one of the, a couple of the apostles' mother comes and says to Jesus Christ, she wants her sons to sit, one on his right hand and the other on the left, signifying again a position of authority. That that's where they would be. That's where they would, the, the seat of authority they would occupy. We even today talk about a judge sitting on the bench, right? 
And that's not just you know talking about physically where he's located, but it's talking about the authority that he has. In Matthew 23, verse 2 says, saying the scribes and the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now that doesn't mean they were literally sitting in Moses' seat, but they were occupying that place that Moses had of being the one who had authority over them. In Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with them, he shall sit upon the throne of his glory. In Hebrews 8, 1, now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set, that's like past tense of it, on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Hebrews 10, verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And there you get both of those meanings of both that position he occupies, the place that he's at, and one of authority, but also it connotes the completeness. He sat down after he finished everything that needed to be done. And in Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here again, talking about Jesus Christ being at that right hand of the throne of God, that's the place that he's at, and that's the authority he has. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 19, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his, God's power to us, word, who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? Talking about this mighty power of God, verse 20, which he wrought, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. I told you that the word sit in terms of concept precedes the word walk in Ephesians. Because back here, the concept is introduced in chapter 1 when it talks about the place that Jesus Christ has. And that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. God seated Christ at his own right hand. And this is what he did for Christ. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. When God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he set him at his own right hand, and he gave him that place of authority, that place of authority where Jesus Christ is far above all other principalities, all other power, all other authority. He rules above everything else. He rules above the prince of the power of the air. He rules above Satan and everything that he's done and all the, the, the power he has. Jesus Christ is in a position where God put him 
seated above everything else in the heavenlies. And that's why it's so important then in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 6, where it says, And he hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's our position. That's where we abide. That is where we are at. We are seated in the heavenlies in Christ. That's spiritually your position right now. And just as Jesus Christ, being seated in the heavenlies, has authority above all those things, so we also have authority over everything else. That's what God did for us. This first position is not one that we take. It's one that God already put us in. When we got born again, we accepted that. And we are seated in the heavenlies in Christ. Now let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. In chapter 4, we learn more about our walk and more about how we are to live, how we are to conduct ourselves. In verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech ye that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. God says that he beseeches us that we would walk worthy of what he's called us to. You know, God's done so much for us. This position of authority, what he's done for us, how he saved us by grace, all that we have, all of that completeness in Christ, God wants us to walk worthy of it. That we would walk in alignment, in harmony, in balance with it. That's what the word worthy means. And then he goes on to describe that with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're to walk worthy of what God's called us to be. He goes on to say in verse 17 of chapter 4, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth from now on walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. God says that he doesn't want us to walk like other Gentiles who are still walking according to the course of this world. God doesn't want us to walk in that same way because they walk in blindness. They walk in the blindness of their heart. They don't see where they're really going. In chapter 5, and verse 1, we learn more about the walk. Be therefore as followers of God, his dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. We're to walk in love. This is another way that God wants us to walk. Look at verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk his children of light. Another way that we're to walk is in light. We're to walk in love and we're to walk in light. In verse 11, it says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done in them in secret. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. 
Here's another way that God wants us to walk. Not only to walk in love and to walk in light, but to walk circumspectly. That's with wisdom. To walk with an awareness that we are in a spiritual battle. And to walk with that sharpness, that wisdom in this world. In chapter 6, now we get to the stand. Once we've seen the, the way that we are to walk in light of how we are seated, then God tells us we are also to stand. Verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles, the methods of the devil. Stand is to take a stand. And it is where you're ready to stand against an enemy. And that enemy is the adversary, the devil. He is our enemy. And we are strong in the Lord. It's not our own strength that enables us to take a stand against him. But being strong in the Lord, we then stand. It's God's strength. It's his power. But it's our determination, our freedom of will to stand or not stand. God can't make us. He would not do that. He would not make us stand. It's our free will. We choose to fight this fight. We choose to take a stand, or we choose to just follow along with all the other Gentiles. Verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Do we wrestle against flesh and blood? No. Does it look like it sometimes? Yes. Sure. And sometimes, yes, we are, you know, having a disagreement, we're having some conflict with flesh and blood, but it's a deeper reality than that. What's behind it? What's behind it is those spiritual principalities, powers, might, dominion, those things. But the same things that are described in this verse that we fight against are the same very things that are described when it talked about that we were far above, seated in the heavenlies, we are far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. It's the same words that are used here in Ephesians 6 that were used in Ephesians chapter 1 when it talked about the position that Christ was set in and that we are in being seated in him. And that's the position we fight from. <clears throat> Verse 13. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, do what? To stand. To stand. Having done all, to stand. That's a determination we make to take that position of taking a stand. Taking a stand. Where we just were ready to fight. And nothing's going to, to move us off of that. You know, <clears throat> when they talk about General George Armstrong Custer, what do they talk about? What do they? Custer's last stand. Custer's last stand. Because there he was, he was taking a stand. And it was his last one because the Indians won, but he took a stand there. That's what you do in a battle. You take a stand. You take a stand. And that's what God asks us to do. Verse 14. 
Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of believing, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts or arrows of the wicked. You know, we're not going to take the time today to go into all those individual components of the armor, but it's, each one's important. Each one is very significant. And each one helps us in that fight. But we fight with that word of God, and we use that shield of believing. These things are so important if we're going to be able to stand, if we're going to be able to not lose in that fight. Verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So we start off with understanding that we are in this position of being seated in the heavenlies. And that's what the first part of Ephesians talks about. Chapter 1 talks about what God's done for us in Christ. And all that we have in this position of being in those heavenlies far above all principality and power. And then because of that, we walk. And we walk not like other Gentiles walk, but instead we walk in love, we walk in light, we walk circumspectly. And then it's not just enough to even walk, but we have to at times just take a stand. It's not just enough that we live a certain way, but we have to be prepared that in life we're going to face some opposition. Even when we're doing our best to walk and live it, we're going to face some opposition. And when that comes, we just stand with our strength being in that power of the Lord. Okay, bless you. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind.